Hey, Mama. I know getting meals on the table for your family can feel tough, especially finding weeknight-friendly meals that everyone in the family will love. There's a good chance it's why you're here, at least I hope so. Helping moms take the stress out of feeding their family is my biggest passion. It's why I share with you here, and it's why I created the Healthy Mama Cooking Club. If you've ever wished this podcast came with a weekly done-for-you dinner plan with a shopping list and meal prep tips, or maybe a recipe library with over 200 family-friendly recipes, cooking tips, how-tos, and hacks, well, it does, and it's all in the Healthy Mama Cooking Club over on Patreon. Starting at just $3 a month for access to our 200-plus recipe vault with printable PDF recipes, or $5 a month for weekly done-for-you dinner plans, plus the recipe vault and bonus podcasts every month, the Healthy Mama Cooking Club is the dinnertime solution you're looking for. Head to patreon.com slash healthymamachris or click the link in the show notes to try it out for a week free and join over 130 other busy mamas making weeknight meals work with the Healthy Mama Cooking Club. I can't wait to see you in there. All right, let's get on with the episode. The most important thing we can do with our kids is eat with them because they learn how to eat by watching us. So family meals are kind of inherent in this because you're all eating, you might as well do it together. You're all eating the same food. It's ready at the same time. Um, it also allows your kiddo to see, like to, to kind of do what they've been seeing this whole time. So they've been watching you eat. They've been watching you pick food up off your plate, put it in your own mouth and chew. And they are very observant and you probably see them death stare you when they start to get close to that, you know, six month time, they're very interested in what you're doing. Well, now you get to let them do the same thing. Living a healthy, balanced life is no small feat, especially when you're a mom. With meals to cook, laundry to load, work to do, and humans to raise, it can be easy to feel like we're in an on-again, off-again relationship with healthy living. But it doesn't have to feel this way. I believe living a healthy life has become way too complicated. What we need isn't a new plan or program telling us what to eat or how to live. We need simple, uncomplicated routines and information that's going to help us live our best, most beautiful life without rules and restrictions. Join me, Kristen Dofniak, holistic health coach, certified intuitive eating counselor, and mama of two for weekly conversations on what it means to live a healthy, balanced life, uncomplicate eating, and simplify in every area of mom life. Hey friends, welcome back to the Healthy Balanced Mama podcast. Chris here, and I'm back with another incredible guest interview for our Healthy Kids series. And today's guest is one that I have wanted to hop on the phone and chat with for probably the last three years. I first connected with Megan and her business partner, Judy, when my youngest daughter was just starting to be interested in solid foods. And I knew that I wanted to approach feeding her in a different way then I had my older daughter, who is now seven, and we did a lot of the traditional feeding with things like purees and soft smashed foods, and we were really, really careful about allergens, and it was just very stressful, and it was um, not the most joyful starting of foods experience that I kind of wished it was. And though I'm very grateful that she is a great eater now, I wished that her our experience feeding her could be one that felt a little bit more natural. And when I first discovered Megan and Judy and their approach to feeding littles, I was blown away by their approach that really marries 
is science and simplicity when it comes to feeding littles. So feeding babies with baby led weaning, feeding toddlers and helping to prevent pickiness. And so today I wanted to have Megan on. She is a registered dietitian. She's a pediatric dietitian. And like I've mentioned, she's the co-owner of Feeding Littles. Many of you probably know who Megan and Judy are. They have over a million followers on Instagram. And I shared with her a couple times in the episode, I truly believe it's because the information that they share is so practical and helpful for every stage of childhood from those early stages of baby led weaning and learning how to teach our kids to self-feed to the older stages where they're helping moms and dads of toddlers prevent pickiness and then help them work through those picky stages and really learn to love food and most importantly, learn how to trust their own bodies and learn how to trust our kids that they do know how to eat and that we can just kind of help them along their way. And so it was a really incredible interview. I had Megan really take us through the ins and outs of baby led weaning. So we focused a lot on those early stages of eating, but we even got a little bit into toddlerdom and and that P word around food. And I probably could have talked to her for another couple of hours, but alas, she had to go pick up her kiddo from school because she is a busy mama too. But I know that any of you who have young kiddos or who might have kiddos who are going to start food in the near future are going to find this episode so helpful. I know for me that this method of feeding my second daughter was just so much less stressful and has led to so much more joy and so many more family meals. And we talk about that in the episode. So I really hope that you enjoy our conversation. For those of you who don't yet know, Megan McNamee, MPHRDN, is a pediatric dietitian and co-owner of Feeding Littles. She and her business partner, Judy Delaware, OTR, CLC, create online courses for parents of babies, toddlers, and older kids to help them feed their families with confidence. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Megan. So welcome, Megan. I am so happy to have you on the Healthy Balanced Mama podcast. Thank you for having me. You were actually on my original guest wish list when I wrote out like the first 10 guests I wanted to have on the podcast. Um, and I have been following you for several years now. So it is really fun to finally have you on and to be able to have you sharing all of your knowledge and wisdom with all of my guests, my listeners, that is. <laughs> well, thank you. That's so sweet. That's really sweet of you to say. Thank you. So I love to start with just a really easy icebreaker if you're up for it. Sure. So what is the first thing you drink when you wake up in the morning? Oh, I, I'm such a dehydrated person. <laughs> I like have a really big issue with drinking enough water. I live in Arizona and I work out most days of the week. Um, and I really find that if I don't start with a ton of water in the morning, I don't do well the rest of the day. The second thing I drink is actually decaf coffee because I gave up mm -hmm. caffeine a few years ago and everyone thinks that. It's completely insane, <laughs> but uh, I noticed it was making me anxious. So mm -hmm. I still like the routine of it, but I do decaf, but yeah, definitely got to get water in. And I will tell you friends, just this is the dietitian piece. If you're doing like reverse osmosis water or like a super filtered water that doesn't have any minerals in it, it does really help to add, I'll buy some like mineral, mineral drops or even a twist of sea mm -hmm. salt to help you absorb that water a little bit better. If you're finding that you just 
you keep drinking and drinking and peeing and peeing, but you still feel super dehydrated. It can really help with that. That is a really good tip. I am definitely a water first thing girl too, but um, I also love my coffee and I actually switched to half calf in the last year and I've been going oh, strong yeah. with half calf because I, I haven't quite made the jump to <laughs> full decaf, but I felt the same thing. So yeah. I love hearing these responses. It's so much fun. <laughs> Well, I mean, I feel like mine are kind of boring. I'm sure some people have more interesting things, but no, I <laughs> think that was, that was that was really helpful. Yeah. <laughs> so I first discovered you and Judy's work when I was pregnant with my second daughter, who is now three, and I had heard of baby led weaning before, but I'd never quite heard it explained like you do. I think you guys do a really great job of combining science and simplicity and really making it feel doable for moms, I think especially, or for parents, you know, especially for anxious parents like myself at times, you know, being maybe a little bit worried about giving my kids certain foods or certain combinations or giving them foods that might be a little bit bigger. So I have continued to follow you far, you know, far beyond her being an infant and kind of introducing her to baby led weaning in a different way than I did to my older daughter. But I find that you have so many tips, not just for the little ones, which is what we're going to mainly talk about today, but also for kids as they get a little bit older as well. So I already said, I'm so grateful for the work you do, but I would love to just kind of start at the beginning and to just have you share a little bit about who you are and what you are really passionate about bringing to the world. Oh, thank you. Um, feeding littles was a complete accident, honestly. Um, and I think some of the best things are in, in a lot of regards, we, we didn't intend for it to even, we had no idea really, really what we were doing. It started because I, had been laid off from my job at a medical device startup when I was 37 weeks pregnant and with my first baby and I didn't know what to do. And I started after she was born, I wanted to kind of be with her and kind of rebuild my private practice um, as a dietitian. And I was teaching some classes in downtown Phoenix. I live in Arizona, like I said, and they had said, um, it was at a birth center and they said, we want you to teach a class about infant feeding. And I was like, okay, that's cool. I know how to, you know, I've, I've been in this world my whole life. And they said, well, what about baby led weaning? And I was like, what? I don't know what that is. This was eight years ago, almost. Oh, wow. And in the U S this was completely new and unheard of. And I started, um, I actually did it. I was like, you know, I need to do some research on this. I really want to dig into this and what is the science out there and what it, you know, read various books, but also try it with my own child. And I, I love the experience. And I taught my first class to probably just mainly my own mom friends. And I, I cringe at what the class was now, you know, cause I'm sure it was horrible compared to like what we, how we have evolved it and such. But, <laughs> um, I, I was doing that and it got, was popular. I had more and more people coming to it. Cause at the time it was kind of just for early adopters and people that were really interested in something different. And, um, then people were saying, okay, my kids toddler now they're not eating like they used to what do I do now and I was like I don't really know because I knew how to you know what to put on their plate but I didn't know how to encourage them to eat it and that's when I kind of at the same time met Judy um she is a feeding therapist in Colorado and so she works with medically fragile kids and helps them learn how to eat depending on you know what they're dealing with um, developmentally or if they were premature and um so she's kind of a she's a baby toddler wizard and my friend mm -hmm had met her because her son was Judy's client. Her son had passed away when he was six months old from a genetic condition called SMA. And she was that person that came into their world and he was on hospice. Everyone knew he was, you know, he was terminal. 
but she was the only person that came in and you know treated him like a living baby and he was still alive. Mm-hmm. And how can we celebrate him and celebrate his life and help him do things? And that was, that just stuck with the family. And a few years and after he passed, she, they'd had another baby and she was born right around the time mine was born and we were instant friends. And she said, you need to meet this Judy person. She's amazing. Mm-hmm. And so Judy and I met and we, at first we're just like, what are we going to do? We know we were the same person, just living in different places and doing different things. And she's older than me. She, she has kids that are almost my, my age. Well, I shouldn't say that. Cause she's going to be mad at me. Her kids are in their mid twenties and I am not, but, um, so she has kind of seen that perspective as a mom through such a different, you know, phase. Like when I met her, her kids were, you know, graduating from high school, starting college. And that's so different when your kids are, than when your kids are, you know, babies and toddlers, it's, it's little problems, big problems, right? Still problems. And you still care about them so much and want to be the best mom you can for them. And, um, so we created, we called it feeding littles cause we had a little Facebook group called feeding littles. It was really creative. We just stuck with the same name. And then we kind of went from there. We created a toddler course online. And then a few years later, the infant course. And it really wasn't until we figured out how to utilize social media and Instagram and such to kind of get the, the word out there. Um, so yeah, that's kind of where we came from, but it, you know, when we talk to marketing experts and all these people, they're like, well, tell us, tell us about the branding and like your business plan and your marketing plan. We're like, we have none of that. We have no, like, we have a, we have branding because it happened accidentally. We have no plan. We had, and it just kind of all went very organically. So we're really grateful to be here and do what we do. And, um, you know, since I had been laid off, I'd also been at just jobs that I knew weren't in the right place for me. And it's so funny now to see, I'm only sharing this because I know there's a lot of people listening that probably feel like this too. Like, I'm not in the right spot. I'm not in the right spot. I am very unfulfilled. I don't know why I'm here. Um, now I look back and it's so funny because every instance was a perfect preparation now for what I do. Mm. And I would not be able to do what I do without that perspective, but I just didn't know it then. And I was really impatient and I wish I had just trusted the process a little bit better. So anyway, that's kind of why we're here now. Oh my gosh. I love that so much. I think you and Judy are the best team and she's always so joyful whenever I see her on your Instagram account. And I think that, I think the reason why I was drawn to you two in the first place is because everything that you share is so realistic and practical. Like you don't share, I mean, I, not that fluff is bad. You know what I mean? You you share your kids, you share real life, but it's really practical, helpful information. And so I am not surprised at all that your business has grown and your following has grown and that you're helping so many people. I told you before we jumped on that I have recommended you guys to so many people. I remember um, when I went and decided that I wanted to take your infant course and I asked my husband if he would take it with me. And he's like, aren't courses like your thing? (laughs) He's like, I don't know. I'm like, yeah, but we're going to, we're going to both be feeding her. Right. And he's like, okay, okay. And he sat down and he's watching it with me. And he's like, this is so cool because you have the actual babies that you are feeding and it feels, it feels real because it is real and it feels doable. And so I love that about everything you do. So sweet. Yes. Well, I would love to just kind of start at the beginning because I would love to kind of go through feeding littles from that early kind of baby led weaning phase all the way into maybe talking a little bit about toddlerhood. So Mm -hmm. for my listeners who might be new and who might have heard baby led weaning, but they're not exactly sure what it means or how it's different from like the traditional spoon feeding, puree feeding, 
Can you talk a little bit, can you speak just a little bit to baby led weaning? What is it and how is it beneficial for babies to start eating in this way versus that like traditional spoon fed way? Sure. Um, I think the term baby led weaning is really confusing for Americans first off, because weaning here means stopping breastfeeding or bottle feeding. And it doesn't mean that in the rest of the world. Um, it really actually means how you start solid foods. So when you hear somebody say, how are you weaning your child in the rest of the world? I mean, how are you introducing them to solid foods and solid foods being anything that's not the complementary food, anything that's not, um, their milk. So for the last hundred years or so, it's been pretty customary to use, um, either homemade or prepackaged baby foods. Um, actually, you know, this, this became really popular in the early 1900s because we used to say that we should feed babies at, you know, just a few days to weeks of age, we should be giving them, um, complimentary foods for a variety of reasons. There's a whole interesting history behind that. But even like I looked at my father-in-law and my mother-in-law's baby books and they started around six, seven weeks, they were given solid foods. Well, at that time they can't hold up their head. They can't, you know, they can't bring anything to their own mouth. You have to give them essentially like pureed liquefied foods and a whole industry was built behind that to give parents that ease and convenience of those types of foods. So it started from, you know, this real necessity. Um, we've learned over the last multiple decades that we want to wait a little bit longer until our babies start solid food. So now we recommend around six months of age or so. And when they're showing some readiness signs, and that's when a way of feeding kind of has been defined. That really was how babies were fed long before blenders and baby bullets and food processors were even possible, right? Because if you think about it, you know, in the 1600s, babies weren't fed baby food, like smoothly pureed baby food. There wasn't any way to make that unless you really mashed it down really, really hard for a long time, you know? So um, we, people think baby led weaning is a new way of feeding babies, but it's actually kind of the original way of feeding babies. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's essentially allowing babies to self-feed baby led feeding or infant self feeding is how I kind of rephrase it because again, it can be confusing. I also think there's a lot of intensity about the terminology online. If you go into baby led weaning groups or you listen to people talk about it, it seems extremely rule driven. And there's a lot of um, what seem like almost arbitrary rules about it. And some of them actually are arbitrary. Um, there's some kind of made up rules that you'll read about in different Facebook groups that have no grounding in science. And the thing that's tricky is in a lot of these support groups, it's, it's like parents helping parents, which is wonderful, but nobody has a background in in nutrition or feeding science at all. So, and they haven't had that, you know, um, perspective of working with not just their own child, but like hundreds of other people's children too. And so, um, there's just a lot of misinformation. And I think people get really scared because they, they see this intensity and they just think that's not for me. I can't go all into something that hard. Mm. It doesn't need to be like that. Baby infant self-feeding baby led weaning is essentially giving the baby the foods that you eat in the form that you eat them as long as they can pick them up. Um, but it doesn't mean that we completely forego smooth or pureed foods that we would eat. Like it doesn't mean you're going to give your kid yogurt. If you eat yogurt, you know, you're going to give them hummus or applesauce or guacamole. Like they're going to, you know, maybe a bisque or type of, you know, smooth, like soup, they need to be able to eat all of these types of foods, not just strips of foods. And so the way we teach it is like, is kind of helping parents understand where's your child developmentally, what can they pick up? What can they chew with their strong back gums and swallow? How do we know if it's safe? How do we know if it's not? Not. And from there, they get to make those decisions. If they want to do some like commercial baby food or make their own baby food alongside with it, is it by definition baby led weaning? No, but do you really care if you're falling under 
this one definition, the goal is still the same. Your baby's self-feeding. You're, you're, you're working towards self-feeding in the end and independence around food. And the benefits are, you know, um, multifactorial. Uh, it's, you know, you're allowing your child to kind of build on those skills that they need for the future. Um, when they self-feed and they put their hands in their own mouth, they're able to, what Judy calls map, mouth map, where they find the confines of their mouth with their hands and figure out where food goes, where it doesn't. Um, it, that kind of helps with gagging, with the chewing and all of that good stuff. So those of you with little babies at home when they're drooling all over their hands and they're gagging themselves and they're just, you know, everything goes in the mouth. That's actually really, really important developmentally, mm-hmm. but it's also, um, it, it fosters more, um, family, family meals because you're, you're giving the child, your child, the foods that you eat. So you're not making something different when you make something different, you, you kind of tend to feed them separately than you. Like, okay, well, this is their food. They can eat now and then we'll put them to bed or they can eat now and then we'll eat later. Mm -hmm. But the most important thing we can do with our kids is eat with them because they learn how to eat by watching us. So family meals are kind of inherent in this because you're all eating, you might as well do it together. You're all eating the same food. It's ready at the same time. Um, It also allows your kiddo to see, like to, to kind of do what they've been seeing this whole time. So They've been watching you eat. They've been watching you pick food up off your plate, put it in your own mouth and chew. And they are very observant. And you probably see them death stare you when they start to get close to that, you know, six month time. They're very interested in what you're doing. Well, now you get to let them do the same thing. Just like when you give your toddler, you know, a play kitchen or some sort of tool that looks like a tool you would use. They, they try to play with it and do the same thing you would do. Um, So there's a lot of benefits to it, but I never want to imply that it's always better for everyone because I think there's, you know, there's many ways to, to do this. And, um, for some families, especially if you have like a lot of anxiety, if your child has maybe some developmental or medical needs, it's not necessarily the fit. Um, but I, what I think is really cool about baby little eating as just a movement, it's really encouraged parents to meet their child where they're at. So, you know, I used to see a lot of like people just, you know, holding their baby's hands down or not letting them get messy and not letting them touch the spoon as it comes towards them. And now people are realizing like, oh, they're doing that for a reason. They're showing me the next step they want to be at and kind of allowing that next step. And it's just kind of, um, I think it's fostered this kind of trust in our kids that like they, they do have a lot of these cool skills to feed themselves and we need to give them the opportunity to do that. Oh my gosh. I love all that so much. And I'm over here nodding and agreeing so much that it does seem odd to me personally when we give our kids food and then we eat later because they they are oftentimes sitting with us from the time where they're really young after the point they're sleeping all day long and they are watching us. And it is a way to have them be a part of the family. And then that's that next natural step is, okay, now it's time for you to have food on your plate too. And to start to experiment with that versus going, okay, it's time for you to have food, but it's not going to look anything like our food. (laughs) It's going to be completely different. And you think about it, it kind of is, it's like, oh, of course, it seems obvious when you think of it that way, but most a lot of times it was just never shown to us or modeled to us that way. And, and don't get me wrong. I mean, I don't have every single meal with my kids, especially like there are nights when they're just little turkeys and my husband and I order and take out. I'm like, guess what? You're having, you know, nuggets and some frozen, you know, peas and you're going to bed. Sometimes that happens too. Um, but, but I think, um, we just forget about the power of the simplest things 
mm-hmm. like eating together. That is, it, it, we tell people all the time, like if you could do one thing, that's probably the one thing. Mm, yeah. No oh, I love that. Where you are, just try to eat together when you can. Yeah. Oh, I love that. And I love that your approach is not an all or nothing type approach. It's not like you can't ever do purees or that, you know, you have to do it this way. It doesn't necessarily work for everyone, but it is, it's a different way. And it is a way that I, in in my opinion, I think it's a lot less stressful. It was way less stressful to me. And I was also a second time mom with my second daughter, but we did a lot of the purees. I had the whole, like the baby bullet system with my older daughter. And I was like, I'm going to make all my homemade, my own homemade food. And then I ended up going back to work for a while and that did not happen. That was totally out the window right, <laughs> after right. probably like the first two months, but it was, it just felt so much easier and so much more natural. And I think a lot of that was following you and taking your course and all that as well, okay. but it really, it really did feel so much less stressful. So I know that, um, a question that a lot of moms have, and a lot of moms might have, and I've had a lot of, um, my friends ask me, and that's, I oftentimes refer them to you. How do we actually know it's time to start our baby on solids? I know you mentioned there's the six month mark. What are the signs that you recommend looking out for that would indicate that your particular kiddo would be ready for starting solids? Sure. Um, I'll just give you the quick and dirty on this. Just so you guys remember this easily. You want them to be sitting well. So if you put them on the ground in a seated position and they topple over, they're probably not ready yet. That has to do with, um, the utilization of their hands and their jaw. It's all about trunk control and support. There's a, we have a whole article about this that goes into much more detail, but just remember sitting well on the ground, bringing their hands or other objects to their mouth. Um, they, they no longer exhibit the tongue thrust, which is different than like a refusal of a bottle or a refusal of a pacifier. It's more like that innate reflex where they thrust their tongue out at everything that should be gone by six months anyway. Um, and then their interest in food is a good sign as well. It's not the only interest, but it's one inch, you know, one, or it's not the only sign, but it's a good sign that they're getting ready. Um, so, you know, with the first thing we ask people, you know, is, well, are they sitting well on the floor? Well, not yet. We just find so much more success when you have that good, that good stability and trunk control. And we even show it in our infant course. You can see sometimes like there's a kiddo actually in there that wasn't sitting well. We didn't know he was seven months. We didn't know. And he really didn't know how to use his hands and arms as effectively. Mm. Um, and, and it's, it's just one thing that parents find to be a little bit more helpful when they start. Um, we talk a lot about in our courses and in our blog about like positioning and why that does matter. Um, so I won't go into that, but, um, it, it, it does make a difference. And for babies, we just want to make sure that they're showing readiness signs. Um, not just going off of that, that number. Cause people forget that that's an, one of those things that is really intense in those baby led weaning groups. They'll say like, if you talk about giving your child food any day before they turn six months old, you get kicked out of the group. They're forgetting that these are based on, this is based on large population data. This is averages. These are guidelines. And um, it's it, we drew a line down the middle. It's not like every single kid that started any day before they turned six months old had major feeding issues, but none of the kids afterwards did. It's not how it works at all. Mm-hmm. So um, we still re- recommend around that time, around that age, because that is what the guideline is. Um, but they also we all also want them to be showing readiness signs as well. Yeah. Just like we all have different needs, so do our babies. Yeah. Yeah, Exactly. 
So I know that once our moms who are listening are noticing those readiness signs and they're ready to start solids, I know the biggest fear for me when I knew that I had started to research baby led weaning, I knew there was a different way and I wanted to do something a little different with my second daughter. I did have a lot of fears around giving her bigger foods and bigger items. And I know you have a lot of really helpful diagrams, both in your course and on your Instagram to kind of share different shapes and things like that, that you can give your babies. Um, But what do you notice as some of kind of the biggest fears or roadblocks that moms tend to have when it comes to actually moving forward and giving their kids foods and allowing them to self-feed, I guess, versus giving them the spoon? I think there's, um, it gets down to familiarity and what we've seen and what we know. And that's why we try to share. Um, it's it's getting actually harder for me to share because we now are getting tagged so many times that I don't see necessarily all of the tags, but I love to try to share when people tag us in their stories of their babies eating to show like what this really looks like. And that's what we try to show in our course too. So you see like, what it does it look like when a baby who's six months old is picking up food and putting it in their own mouth. You probably have never seen that before. Mm-hmm. You've probably only been familiar with them being spoon fed. Um, the, the premise behind a larger piece of food, like a strip of soft food is so that your baby can hold on to it well and bring it to their mouth. Your child at six months doesn't have a pincer grasp. They can't use, they can't pick up a small piece of food. They don't have a good palmer release. They have a good palmer grasp where they can literally put their whole palm around something and tightly hold on to it, which you might be familiar with if you're, if you've ever worn earrings or have longer <laughs> hair and you've seen your baby, you know, literally hold on as high and then not be able to effectively let go when you ask them, they don't have that really accurate Palmer release. So any food you give them, we want to be poking out the top of their little fist. And that's the the rationale behind the strips. It also allows them to kind of better navigate where the food goes in their mouth. So the back corners of the mouth, that's where their teeth are going to be. Those molars, that's where they're going to chew. Um, People just, they think if my child doesn't have teeth or they only have one tooth, they can't chew. Well, friends, your child has no chewing teeth actually until they're much older and they have molars. Um, we can't wait until they're two or three and have a full set of teeth before we start giving them food. We know that that would dramatically increase their risk for feeding issues if we didn't give them any food till then. But your kiddo is, uh, is likely like a toddler is likely chewing on their, those gums too, before molars are in, or even at least a complete set of molars are in. Um, so that kind of gets to be the biggest issue is I've never seen this before. This is unfamiliar. How on earth could they chew and safely eat something without teeth? Um, we just try to remind people of like what is actually happening in your child's mouth. They are trying to lateralize that food with their tongue. And then um, that's a process called lateralization. And then their bite pattern, Judy teaches me about this. Their bite patterns change from like a munch pattern to more of a rotary chew as they get older. And that's what we're looking for is this more sophisticated chewing. And the more we give them that chance to practice that and we, the more strength we build in their jaw and their mouth, the better eater they will become, but also the more likelihood they'll have more strength for speech. Mm. So it's all kind of tied together, like how their mouth works. So um, I I try to remind people that, you know, the fear comes from gagging and understanding the gag reflex, which we talk a ton about, but once you, once you know how to keep your child safe and how to, to know what's happening in their mouth, you, it's really amazing to watch like, Holy cow. Like, look what they can do. Look at how, I mean, we, our clients are just shoveling it in. We've got, you know, kids that love curry and spicy food and all sorts <laughs> of different flavors. And just, I mean, my, when my youngest was a toddler, her favorite food was sauerkraut. Like she yes. <laughs> was obsessed with sauerkraut and 
my oldest was using chopsticks like at two independently because there was just so much practicing and yeah. it's not because this is better than that or you know what anyone chooses is better or worse it's just the idea that the more we give our kids the opportunity to learn something the faster they pick it up and we sometimes just don't realize what they they are capable of yes oh my gosh i'm actually laughing over here because something that just occurred to me and this could be just totally random but my younger daughter is actually a neater eater <laughs> than That's my older daughter. She's yeah. actually really great with a fork and a spoon. And because we gave them to her young and we taught her and we just allowed her to learn how to use them. And she started obviously with her hands and self-feeding that way. But my seven-year-old, she's not here right now, so she can't hear me, but she makes a mess. <laughs> and for some reason, my younger daughter, and it could just be a personality thing, um, right. but she she learned very quickly how to use utensils and how to sit and just eat with the rest of us. And so many of my family members have been amazed at how well she's eaten since she was really young, I think, because we allowed her the opportunity to learn that, just like you're saying. So that is so cool. And it does really get them the chance to kind of integrate well into your family meal environment faster. So a lot of times we think of kid food, right? That's why you're saying the beginning, you know, you talk not just about babies, but, you know, older kids. And as they get older and older, well, it's really kind of the same thing if you think about it, right? We're all eating the same foods. The goal is for the family to all enjoy the same foods together. So you're not mm -hmm. creating, you're not cooking a whole bunch of different things, but we don't have to just give our kids kid foods. Now my kids, well, they, they love them some kid foods too. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. But, but I don't want, I don't want them to have, I want them to have culinary experiences as they grow up. I want them to be able to go to a restaurant or when they go on vacation ever again and go into a, and go in and actually want to try the oysters. I want to try this, that, or the other. I want them to be able to experience the world in their life through various food experiences. And mm -hmm. We just get so, I think, focused or like caught up in what kids eat versus what adults eat. And we forget that we can all eat the same things for the most part, as long as they're safe for our kids. So that's really what baby led weaning is an extension of. And it's an extension of whatever's on your table. It doesn't mean that you and I eat the same. Mm -hmm. We have different cultures and backgrounds and budgets and we cook different things and we um, have different preferences, but our kids can learn to be in that environment by what we continually expose them to. Yes. Oh, I love that so much. Especially I am a trained chef. That's part of my training oh, and yes. I love food and I've always loved introducing my kids to new foods and it's fun to see them, their palates change as they get older and try new things. But I, I do think that some of that is too, that we have just, um, you know, I have mom friends who will say, oh, my kids only eat chicken nuggets and mac and cheese. And I'm like, well, have you given them anything but chicken nuggets and mac and cheese? Because you might be surprised. You might put the curry in front of them and they might try a bite and actually really love it. I have one daughter who loves curry and the other one doesn't really. I have one who loves spicy food and the other one who doesn't. And they might not be the kiddos that you would expect. Like my three-year-old actually really like spicy food and <laughs> my seven-year-old not so much. So it's uh, it's really cool. And I love that you're really integrating them with the family and with culture and, and being able to, um, to show them that. I think that's so cool. So another thing that I think is um, a big fear for a lot of moms, and I know this was one for me too, is food allergies. So how does it work with food allergies? And I know you talk about this extensively too in your course, but I would I would love to know just maybe some 
what are the guidelines that you follow when it comes to you're serving your kids a lot of mixed foods, right? When you are doing baby led weaning because they are self-feeding. So how does that work with food allergies and the recommendations now? So that's been a very interesting question. Having had taught this for the last, you know, eight years, because even the medical mindset has shifted so much in that time. When I started teaching it, the guidance was out that avoiding or delaying allergenic foods, including basically the top eight allergies. So uh, top eight allergens, we're talking about wheat, shellfish, finned fish, like salmon, um, eggs, dairy, soy, tree nuts, and peanuts. So those are the top eight allergenic food groups. Within those groups, there's obviously multiple foods. So like in tree nuts, you have almonds and cashews and pistachios. But in general, this is a very general comment. You know, if you're exposing them to almonds, you're kind of exposing them to that food group, um, it would be in the form of like almond butter. So we used to say that if you, you should delay those foods and you're going to hopefully lower their risk of an allergy. And that science came back as we started implementing those recommendations that that was really not accurate. Mm -hmm. Um, so those recommendations changed in 2012, 2013, but it's when around when I started actually teaching this, it's been a while now it's taken a while for it to kind of trickle down to your, you know, community pediatrician for everyone to kind of understand what those new guidelines are. Um, so we know not to wait on allergenic foods and actually that makes your life easier because you mm-hmm. probably eat those foods. And, you know, I like eggs and peanut butter and those kind of things. I know a lot of people do. Um, but with that, we also know that 90% of food allergies are caused by the top, top eight allergenic foods. And you can develop an allergy on the first, third, 10th, hundredth time you eat something. Mm. So some of the allergists we've worked with will say you can't live in fear of allergies either because any of us could become allergic to anything at any time. Mm. If you're listening, you might have had a food allergy develop as an adult. I actually became allergic to eggplant as an adult. Um, and it's it's one of those things where we have to know what to do when you have to know what to watch for. Um, but we know that if we're, in, we're living in fear of allergies and not introducing those foods, we actually increase our child's risk. Mm. So the reason why we talk about, you know, tr- trying a variety of foods right off the bat is because the odds of your child being allergic to non-allergenic foods are very, very low. That you're going to, if you have to, if you only introduce one new food every three to four days, like say you're starting with avocado, you use three days of four days of avocado, and then you do maybe sweet potato for four days, your baby kind of gets sick of it. You get sick of it. You start to forget where you were. Like, did we do this for two days or what day are we on? And the odds of them being allergic to it are so low anyway um, that, and, and it doesn't guarantee anything. That's what I think it's so important to know. It doesn't actually guarantee anything because guess what? They could actually exhibit an allergy on the fifth day. Mm-hmm. And you wouldn't know that because now suddenly you're serving it way down the, the line as you're trying to go through your calendar that you have. And by the end of the month, you've only served seven or eight foods. Well, we know there are seven, there's eight allergenic food groups and we want to get those in close to when we start foods. Well, you've hit just those foods now, right? Mm-hmm. And you haven't really tried anything else. Um, so we, unless your child has a very high allergy risk and that's, you know, they, parents are allergic to something they've shown allergy or severe eczema to, um, compounds of breast milk or formula. They have some sort of high allergy risk. Definitely talk to your pediatrician and they might recommend allergy testing, but a lot of the, the kind of general consensus of a lot of the pediatric allergists we're working with now is kind of like, we need to try, we need to be prepared. So 
um, high allergy risk kids probably need an EpiPen at home. Um, they would anyway, mm-hmm. they would anyway. Um, and we, you know, obviously we need to stop giving a food if your child exhibits an allergy, but, um, I think the hard thing is that we can't just avoid the issue. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if we avoid it and don't give it to them, then we're actually making it potentially worse. Yeah. Oh, thank you so much for that. I know that um, my oldest was born in 2013. And mm-hmm. so the recommendations were just starting to come out. She was actually born in Canada. And I find that Canada is a little bit behind in their recommendations sometimes. Um, not super behind because it is, it's still Canada. Um, but I remember the recommendations being, you know, you space your foods out every few days. And I remember it being like stressful again, going, okay, what did she eat? And how many days has she had this? And one food at a time. And we've had these two too, so we can have sweet potato and avocado, but right. and, you know, and you say that because Canada actually released health Canada came out with their recommendations for nutrition for zero to two, I think in 2015 or 20, somewhere around yeah. there. And they were super progressive and they were yeah. super, super awesome. And it was like, hallelujah, Canada. Cause it finally put into words what so many of us as professionals had been practicing and needed yeah. a, like a guideline for as like a governing body. So I, I know that you, you mentioned that about guidelines there, but I was very impressed with Health Canada. On that. Oh, that's so funny. We we were gone by then. We left in 2014. So maybe I was totally wrong on that. And maybe it just was me learning, <laughs> listening to the guidelines no, and going. You get caught up. I don't know. I don't yeah, know. Yeah. No, that's amazing. Oh my gosh. Well, I know that the guidelines are so much different now. And even for my daughter who was born in 2017. So yeah, that gives me a lot of calm, even though my kids are are older than this early feeding phase. And um, I think that's going to give a lot of moms comfort, especially when they're navigating those early days of, of feeding their kids where it's, it is more beneficial to start earlier. It Yes, there is no way of necessarily there's no easy way of doing it, but you know, at least it's, it's more beneficial to, to do it earlier. So. And it's no guarantee. There's no guarantees about allergies. Yes, yeah. You do everything quote unquote by the book, every single recommendation that, you know, to prevent allergies and you could still have a severely allergic kid and it sucks. Yes. But the thing that, um, is kind of, I think good to know is that there are, there is a lot of research coming out about, um, at, like kind of desensitization to allergens mm. and, that are actually outgrowing allergies that we never thought they could outgrow. Mm. So it's not just, okay, you're allergic to peanuts. You will forever be allergic to them. It's actually, that field is very rapidly changing. And I'm pretty confident in the next 10 years, we will have some interesting therapeutics that are very, very accessible to families. If they do have, have this issue. That is so cool and very encouraging too. Oh, I love that. So I love that you trained under Evelyn Triboli, and she is one of the co-founders of Intuitive Eating, and um, I'm actually an intuitive eating counselor myself, and a lot of what we talk about on the Healthy Balance Mama podcast is intuitive eating for moms. Um, So I would love if you would just speak on how baby-led weaning is something that might be able to encourage intuitive eating as our kiddos grow up. Well, Evelyn Triboli, I actually trained under both Evelyn and Elise. I actually did. Yes. But it's funny because now that Evelyn's grandchild has been eating the last few years, she found us and then connected, reconnected us with Evelyn and Evelyn kind of calls this methodology intuitive eating for babies, which was Mm -hmm. probably the biggest honor ever. We, um, we were actually written up, featured in their newest version of intuitive eating. And I was like, well, I have it right behind me. Yes, you have it. And I like, I, I literally was like, well, I'm done. I can be done now. This is like the greatest honor <laughs> of my whole life. I'm out. I'm out. 
Um, there's nothing better than this. They, they completely changed everything about my life and career and my personal life, even, um, cause I was very dark down on or deep down on that dark path of dieting or saying, you know, eating healthy, but it was really disordered. Um, yeah. and knowing them personally was just such a cool honor to just get it right from their mouths. They're just brilliant. Um, and so I got really excited about that whole, that whole thing. I just, I, I, I want to make sure I answer your question. <laughs> Did you just say God, this all ties together? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay, good. Cause like I, said, I got really excited. Um, so essentially what we're doing now with letting babies feed themselves is we're also letting them control how much goes into their body. And mm-hmm. one of the, the tenets of intuitive eating, when you start reading the book, cause they talk about how we were born with the ability to know how much food we need to eat and when to stop when we were full. And those signals get kind of messed up somewhere in childhood. And what we didn't even realize when we started feeding littles is as I'd always wanted to bring intuitive eating to the world. And I didn't realize that it would be through kids. Cause if you think about it, what a perfect place to start. If you never go there, you don't have to come back from it. Right. If you can always be an intuitive eater from the start and encourage that in your kids, they, they can trust that. And nobody, when we were growing up was talking about like, well, are you actually hungry? Mm-hmm. What foods do you actually want to eat? What sounds like it will fuel your body and actually satisfy you? That was not remotely part of the, mm-hmm. at least in my house. Like it was what is healthy, what has the fewest amount of calories. Um, and, and our kids are, even if we're not saying it directly to our own kids, they're picking up on these, these words and they're learning about food. Food is to be counted. Food is to be measured. Food is to directly equate with the size of our body and our worthiness mm-hmm. in turn. And what's so cool about kind of this process when you start with baby led weaning or like kind of promoting that independence around food is you're letting your child choose what, when to stop based on what their body says. And that is a continuation of what you've been hopefully doing this whole time with breast or bottle feeding. Your baby shows you when they're done, they slow down, they turn their head away. I mean, if people say, well, I don't think my kid knows when they're full. Well, why wouldn't they? I mean, of course they know when they're full, like they have to stop at some place. Mm-hmm. we don't stop them when they're, you know, breastfeeding or bottle feeding, they stop themselves. And so, um, this is just kind of that next step. And then it actually kind of carries on as they get older. This is kind of this, this whole life cycle that we have going on, right. Whereas they get older and older, more independent when we continue tr- to trust them and trust those signals. Um, we don't pretend to know more about their body than they do. You know, we were always told when we were little, take three more bites. Mm-hmm. Well, imagine if you were full, and your dining partner said, you need to take three more bites and you're not going to leave this table until you do, you do. Well, what you quickly learn is I'm ignoring, I'm going to ignore that full, full cue, that fullness cue. This person knows more than me about it. I don't really like this environment, but in order to get out of it, I just have to override what my body's telling me and take three more bites. And if you become pretty in tune with your body, I mean, you know, down to the very last morsel, what's full versus too much. Mm-hmm. You start to really distinguish that. And we want our kids to be able to still know that and still carry that out in their every meal that they eat. So um, that's my really excited response for you. But I just think it's a very cool way of continuing to honor those cues that your child has always shown you. Yes. Oh, and it, it, it just comes back to being able to trust our kids well. Yep. And I think that's so cool. I know I have a good friend um, and we, we got together this weekend. They're in kind of our little uh, bubble these days. And um, we had donuts because we just decided that it was going to be a donut day. And her kiddo had a little piece of a donut and she's eating it. And she took a bite and she goes, 
mommy, I'm full. And she just gave it back to her. And she looked at me and she's like, and we talk a lot about intuitive eating and feeding kids. And she's like, that still kind of makes me proud. Is that okay? I'm like, yeah, it's so cool that your daughter, even though it was like this really delicious, fun treat, or neither of our kids get donuts every single day. We like right. to have a variety of different types of foods. Right. And she was like, no, I'm full. I'm done. And she's right. like, I don't even think I would do that. I would have just finished yeah. the donut, you know? And she just gave it to her. And it was so cool. She's four. Just going, right. nope, like I'm I'm all done. I'm full. And not feeling like she needed to finish it. But just that, no, she knew her body and she just gave it back and moved on, which is right. so cool. Yeah, I know. We as adults really struggle. It doesn't make any sense because we were taught you have to finish your plate. You know, be, I know that there's obviously an issue of uh, food insecurity and food waste and people not getting enough to eat. but you eating that last bite that your body isn't ready for anymore, doesn't want anymore, is not helping somebody else get enough food. Mm-hmm. That's not helping anyone else get enough food. So I think it's a really hard thing to break when we're adults, when we have we start to realize, like, I don't have to eat everything that's on my plate. Yes. I don't. I can stop before it's done, you know, before I finished it. And I'm not, there's nothing shameful or bad about that. Yes. Yeah. 100%. Oh my gosh. I know we don't have a ton of time left, but I do want to just dig a little bit, kind of go a little bit into toddlerdom and toddlerhood, (laughs) because as our kids start to get a little bit older and they go beyond the baby led weaning, they're starting to become more, you know, confident in their eating. I want to talk a little bit about the, the P word that, you know, moms love to talk about. Um, but a lot of moms fear that they're going to have kids who are a little bit picky or a little bit more selective. So I know that you have some great tips for preventing picky eating and, and maybe I guess helping them work through some of that pickiness. So can you share maybe some of your go-to tips for preventing picky eating or maybe helping them work through it if they are pickier eaters? Sure. Um, I think you kind of alluded to it with like the P word, because it's kind of almost like a scary word. (laughs) It's also a word we don't want to use in front of our kids. And we don't, we tend to avoid, if you look online, like we, a lot, in a lot of our content, we tend to avoid using picky as the only way to describe eating, because we know that it's a very fine line when we start to use that label in front of our kids. And we, we start to identify, I have a picky eater, I have a picky eater, so picky, so picky. It gets really easy to pass it on to our kids. It's just like saying, you're so shy. He's so shy. He's so shy. They start to live up to that label. Mm-hmm. And one of the best ways we can kind of encourage picky eating is by telling our kids that they're a picky eater and kind of, um, I guess, confirming that over and over again for them. So we talk, we tell parents one thing I would just, you know, put up as kind of a general tip is just be mindful of the language you have around your kids. And some of the other things you can say instead of, Oh, she's so picky. She won't like that is, you know, we're learning about that right now, or that's a new food for us. Um, I always say like, I think it comes from a place of like self-preservation. If you say, Oh, he won't eat that. He's a picky eater. It's almost like it can justify why he's not going to eat grandma's whatever when she puts it on the plate. But if we never put it on the plate, he doesn't have a chance to eat it. So we always tell parents, like, we know you're coming from a good place of like, you don't want them to waste food on your child, or you don't want them to judge you or your child by how they eat. And sometimes just saying that and putting it out there makes everyone like, okay, I won't give it to them. Um, but instead it's, it can be, it can be actually more productive. If you, if you consistently allow your child to even just have it on the plate, even if they're not going to eat it, they're going to be more comfortable moving forward. Okay. I see it on the plate. Maybe I'll touch it this time. Maybe I'll put it up to my lips this next time. 
um, you keep, if you keep that language and those labels neutral, and then you, you do allow them to be served or you serve them what you want them to eventually eat. Even if you know, like, if you're like, there is literally no way they're going to eat that still put it on the plate. Mm -hmm. I know it sounds totally counterintuitive and it does not have to be very much. And actually it's actually better if it's a tiny amount. Um, imagine if you're going taste testing or like you're going to, if you've ever eaten a new cuisine before, like the first time I ate Ethiopian cuisine, I was like, this is so different and unusual, but you couldn't tell by what it looked like per se, how it was was going to taste. Mm -hmm. And they bring it out in a really big platter with lots of different types of foods. And if you're a more, you know, I'm a, I'm an adventurous eater. So I'm like, let's do this. I don't care. Let's go. I don't know what it's going to taste like. It doesn't bother me. But for people that are really, um, cautious or especially kids, because they are naturally more skeptical of new foods. That is scary to see a big pile of food. So my second tip after kind of being mindful of the language you use around your kids, and I guess, you know, making sure you're still serving them those foods is to, this would be the third tip, I suppose, um, to, um, give them a tiny, tiny amount. It keeps your expectations low. It keeps their expectations low seems way less overwhelming for them. It's like, Oh, I can do one little bite. That's not as scary. And you waste less food. And and in the long run, you're actually, if your kid eats one little bite, they're actually more likely to get their needs met because we don't, we forget that a toddler serving size for like a one-year-old is one to two tablespoons. Mm -hmm. And not to say that that's all they can have by any means. Like it's not a restrictive thing. It's just that we give kids a lot more food and we expect them to eat a lot more food than they actually need. Yeah. So, um, that one tiny amount has many, many, many benefits. Mm. Oh my gosh. Such good tips. Oh, okay. I could continue to talk to you for another two hours. <laughs> I know you I can also talk about this for hours and hours. Oh my gosh. Well, I know. Well, you have so many incredible resources from your courses that I have talked about because they're just, we have both of them and we've taken both of them, um, both your infant course and your toddler course. And they're both amazing. And we'll link them in the show notes, um, as well as your Instagram, which like I said, is just an incredible resource. And I've no surprise that you are, or I'm not surprised at all that you have a million followers literally because your information is just so, so incredible and so helpful. And I know that any of the moms who don't already follow you, um, are going to have, are going to get a huge benefit just out of following you and, um, and, you know, digging into your courses if they're interested in learning more. Um, but I have three fun kind of rapid fire questions I love to ask at the end. So if you have, you know, two more minutes, I would love to ask you them. Perfect. So the first thing, because we love here on the Healthy Balance Mama podcast to talk about food in a way that is joyful. And I think we have been this whole conversation, but I would love to know what your favorite thing is to cook. Oh, I thought you were going to say to eat because I was like, oh, I'm dreaming of all the things at the restaurants that I missed going to. That's My the next question. Thing, I know. Okay, well, I'll put that in the back pocket then. My favorite thing to cook, um, I actually really like to bake. Mm. I like to cook, but I really, my passion has always been baking. And I think part of it, and my, if my mom listens to this, we've already gone through this whole thing. She knows she feels guilty about it, but if my mom never cooked with us, like baked mm-hmm. with us, she was kind of on that dieting train. Yes. So <laughs> she wanted, she didn't want it in the house. Right. But I was so jealous of my friends whose moms baked with them. I, all I want to do is bake cookies with my mom. So she does now she, she obsessively bakes cookies with my kids. Like she's making up for it. <laughs> and, um, we do it all the time and we'd like to make, um, even, you know, not just be beyond cookies, but we, you know, do carrot cake and we get kind of creative and that's super fun for us. 
Oh, so fun. So then what is your favorite thing to order or have someone else cook for you? Sushi. Mm, really sushi good. is so good. Really good. Very good quality, which is hard to get in Arizona, but mm. <laughs> when we travel, we always try to find sushi. My husband is half Japanese, so we are big sushi fans in our house. <laughs> My kids are huge sushi fans, which is very cool, but also very expensive. That's like one of those, like, I'm like, I don't know if I love that they got introduced to that so early because they can put down so much that I'm like, Ooh, you guys are now suddenly not invited to dinner. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So my final question for you, because we are all about balance here, what does your beautiful balance mean to you? I think that, you know, that's, I, I didn't look at these questions beforehand. I don't know if you sent them to me, but I'm glad you caught me off guard because the first thing I really thought of is that a beautiful balance can actually feel really messy. Mm. Like I actually, when you say like, what is a balance to you? I don't actually really feel like my life has ever been in balance per se, but I think it's okay. Like I'm okay with that. And the balance to me is just that some things it's like the whack-a-mole game. Some things are, you know, pop one thing in and something else pops out. Um, (laughs) But but it's also okay, like learning to live with that imperfection. And I think if you've had disordered eating, you've had that perfectionist mentality for so much of your life, being okay with imperfection and imbalance is actually, or being okay with imperfection is actually quite perfect. Mm. Oh my gosh. I love that so much. What a perfect way to end. (laughs) And you know what, if you ever have the time, I think I would love to have you on again and we can talk more about all of the toddler things and all of that. But I think this was such an incredible introduction to everything from baby led weaning to preventing pickiness. And I just, I appreciate your time so much. Sure. Well, thank you so much. Hey friends, Chris here, just popping in at the end of the episode to let you know that Megan has generously gifted each and every one of my listeners $10 off either of her courses, her infant course or her toddler course to learn about baby led weaning, to learn how to prevent pickiness. So if you use the code HEALTHYMAMACHRIS, all caps, you can get $10 off her infant course or her toddler course. That's code HEALTHYMAMACHRIS, and I will put the link in the show notes to grab her courses. You guys, I have taken both of Megan and Judy's courses, and they have been serious game changers for feeding my three-year-old, and I can totally see a difference in how well she eats now compared to her sister, how well she holds a fork, how well she explores new foods. And I think you guys are going to benefit so much from her courses. So go ahead, utilize that code Healthy Mama Chris, get $10 off her infant or her toddler course. And I'll catch you in the next episode. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Healthy Balance Mama podcast. If you loved it, would you take a screenshot and share it with a friend over on Instagram and tag me in it? It helps me so much to know what you love and are taking away from each episode. If you really loved it, would you hop over to iTunes and give me a star rating and review? Every rating and review helps this podcast be seen and heard by more women who need to hear the message of balance and wellness without deprivation. It's the best free gift you could give me. And as a reminder, the information and opinions on this podcast are meant for education and inspiration only and are not to be taken as medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Please consult with a trusted practitioner before making any changes. 
Have a beautiful day, friend, and I'll see you in the next episode.